Welcome to the Evolve Pod, brought to you by Evolve Wellbeing Group. Hello and welcome back to the Evolve Pod. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Uh, I've had a bit of time away, which has been absolutely amazing and much needed. I've uh, been up to North Wales, scrambling up some mountains, doing some whitewater kayaking, spent some lovely time with my family down in Cornwall. I do feel as refreshed as a father can be with three kids under five, but I'm good. I'm ready to go. And with everything that's happening at the moment, with the sort of the opening up of the country with lockdown restrictions being lifted, it's a really, really good time to talk about all the things related into mental health and the triggers that can potentially come up uh, as we come out of lockdown. So I'm really pleased to bring Sharon Moffat onto the podcast today. Sharon is a mental health first aid instructor and a personal trainer who I connected with uh, over LinkedIn a few months ago, and we've kept in touch ever since. And I think Sharon's a really interesting person to to help me bring this content to you today. Sharon, I'm really sorry I had to ask you to turn your fan off. I hope you don't get too hot, but how are you? Hi, Ali. Yeah, well, don't worry. I'll let you off um, I, while I'm sitting here with a um, moustache of sweat across the top lip. Fortunately, no <laughs> one can see that, so it's all right. <laughs> yeah, this is only audio. Don't worry, don't worry. But no, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Now, I know a little bit about your background, um, but obviously for the benefit of the guests, I'd like to get into a little bit about how you got into personal training and in particular mental health, um, you know, the area of mental health and becoming an instructor. What kind of led you to get into those two fields? I know it's quite a big question, but, you know, something sort of, was there something in particular that happened to you that got you into these these positions? Yeah, yeah. So um, personal training. So I was always the unfit kid, right? So, um, I, you know, I've always been tall. I'm six foot. So, I, you know, I was always the gangly one. And um, my parents, I came from quite a... Um, a our family weren't wealthy right so all my friends after school they'd go off and do all these after school activities and I always thought they looked amazing whereas I was this six foot kind of geek if you like and um I just wanted to be like my friends I just wanted I was you know we used to get home from school and just sit in front of the telly or go my mum would say just go and kick a watering can around the garden or something and unfortunately, I've got two sisters, so we did get up to an awful lot of mischief. Um, so I started, I had a paper round initially, and with that money, I used to walk three miles to a leisure centre and swim for half an hour, because it's the only thing I thought I could do. I was 14, so um, I couldn't, I was too young to go to an aerobics class or something. So that's how it started. And I carried that on for a good three years, if I'm honest. Um, but I was, you know, I'm not a good swimmer. People go, you're a good swimmer. And I just used to do breaststroke, but it made me feel really happy afterwards. And I started to feel a little bit more confident about my figure and, you know, all the things that teenage girls worry about, right? So that's how it started. And then one Christmas, my sister bought me a Reebok step. Am I allowed to use to use the name? But the, you remember, other brands are available. Yeah, you know, yeah, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you remember like the really old school steps, yeah, right? Yeah, and she yeah. bought me one and I was like, oh. I mean, and I think it was probably about 60 quid back then, which was loads of money. And we're talking like um, mid 90s, early 90s even here. Um, Show my age there. It was actually two weeks ago. Um, so we did, we did that and uh, I just loved it. So moving forward from that, right, I still never did sports school. When we did 100 metre races, because I knew I was going to be last, I just used to wave at everyone and walk. And the only thing I was good at at school, sports-wise, was long distance. Don't ask me why. And I can remember I beat the fastest girl in school in a long distance run. And uh, I remember being so proud of myself. But everyone shunned me because it was like well you've kind of dissed the you know the school hero when it comes to running so after that I thought yeah so after that I was like I just I just won't bother then so that was that and then when I was I think maybe 16 and we had to it might have been younger 15 maybe we had to do work experience at school and I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do when I left school I just didn't know and I got into 
working with BA at Heathrow and back then you used to have to take send a picture in of yourself and tell them a little bit about you so it was quite a big deal but the problem was my mum didn't drive and my dad was working so I couldn't get there I couldn't get to yeah, Heathrow yeah. so I couldn't go so I said oh just send me to a leisure centre that would be all right thinking it would be really dossy job and I absolutely loved it I absolutely loved it but I didn't it wasn't so much the sport that I loved it was the being around loads of people meeting loads of people um being able to like chat just chat to people I love I absolutely loved it so I just thought I know I'm going to be an aerobics instructor <laughs> I started going to because I was six foot and I would have been like maybe 16 I thought well I'll just get away with it which I did and I became really in, I got really into it. So as soon as I hit 18, I did um, an aerobics instructor's qualification, which is RSA, um, and uh, started teaching aerobics at 18. <laughs> and then it just led from there. I got, when I was in my, well, how old would I have been? 19, I got my first job in a gym. Um, and then I got headhunted by the council to set up their GP referral scheme, which back then no one had ever heard of. Um, and I really embraced it and I loved it. And I started working with clients that um, had different types of injuries or diseases or conditions. And it was just so rewarding. And then from that, people would come up to me going, do you personal train? Because obviously a lot of it was one on one, right? So I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I do. And it just kind of rolled on from there. You've got to make so, the opportunity for yourself, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So I absolutely loved it. So when people go, oh, God, how much do you exercise every day and stuff? I'm like, no, I don't. I, I have been there. I have been really obsessed with exercise and really obsessed with diet, as I'm sure a lot of female listeners and male actually listening to this might understand. Um you know, I just, I just was always quite self-conscious. I can walk and talk the confidence, but inside I've got this voice in my head saying you're not good enough. So, um, yeah, yeah. So and now I'm older, um, which is 46 for anyone that wants to know. Um, I, um, I exercise purely because it makes me feel better. It, that, think- that's it. I think if I if you if I reflect back to what you mentioned about being 14 years old and going to the pool to just to swim and by the sounds of it not to get faster or to get fitter but just because you really enjoyed it you're almost like 14 years old now 46 years old you've kind of reconnected with the mm. a really nice part of your 14 year old self to exercise yeah. just because it's fun and because you and because you love it right yeah because I really um, liked it and um you know when I exercise now I mean I've done various challenges, you know, I've done Tough Mudder for anyone listening to that. Don't do it. It's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) And I've, I mean, I never thought I'd run a marathon, my God, but I did uh, run three. And people say to you, you know, the thing with when you do races or anyone that's done that, if you can call it a race, they're like, oh, what's your time going to be? What's your time going to be? And I'm like, I don't care. I'd just be happy if I'm actually still standing crossing the finishing line because I can categorically tell you that um, I might be trying to run, but it won't look like a run. Yeah, I mean, there's two <laughs> there's two different camps, really. I think, well, like, like, I was going to ask you, did you enjoy your marathon? But you did three, yeah, so I did. You, must have been, you must have enjoyed the first two. Um, but yeah, I think there's two different camps, isn't there? When, you, when you're going into a challenge, it's your, it's your, whether you compete or whether you complete. Totally. And if you know which one, which camp you fall in, you can then train accordingly. There's nothing wrong with either. They're, they're both great positions to be in, but you need to identify which one you fall into yeah. to get the most out of that experience, right? Yeah, totally. But I do sometimes question myself and think, am I in the, the place where I do it because I don't push myself? Or when, I did in the last one, I did train harder and I wanted to beat my time, which I did just. But um I have great admiration for it, but I guess there's again that head of you're not good enough. You're never going to achieve what you think everyone else can achieve. Mm. So push yourself, but don't 
don't make yourself stand out if that makes sense in well, a way. Let, let's get into that a little bit that's definitely a theme I want to get into if you don't mind this I know from what you've sort of said you've alluded to, to various challenges that you had growing up if you're happy to sort of open up and share a little yeah. bit more of that and one, one thing I'm kind of quite keen on is to find out you know how that manifested in you as a sort yeah. of young young woman so you know the confidence that you've got now and whether you still struggle with emotions and your thoughts and feelings about yourself and your perception etc and how you kind yeah. of how you learn to love yourself and to thrive <laughs> I don't know if I do really love myself I think I quite <laughs> like myself we're getting there um, then yeah yeah slowly but surely um god it's yeah god, it's such a long story really but I'll try and keep it quick when I was about nine I really struggled at school really struggled um I couldn't keep up with everybody else and I wanted to do well I've always wanted to do well in anything you know if I'm going to try something, I want to do the best I can, not the best that someone else expects you to do or not the best that um, the person sitting next to me or running next to me is doing. I want to do, I want to know I've worked my hardest, right? And I used to just get so panicked by, you know, you would have like a basic maths test at the end of term. Didn't mean anything. It was just to see how much you've learned. And I would be the one in the corner hysterically shaking and crying because I just couldn't do it. And that was really the start of the kind of anxiety and stress and so forth. Um, and it just became so overwhelming that I was just petrified of school and I mean petrified now I went to a good school right a nice comprehensive school I had great friends friends I've still got now you know I've got really close friends that I literally started school with on the same day um but I just couldn't I just was so scared of failing I think probably which I would say I still take into my adulthood and uh yeah it just manifested in what the psychologist says was um the worst childhood depression and anxiety you'd ever seen now I'm laughing when I say that because I can now I'm not in that place but I don't believe that to be true at all but I just don't believe they'd ever really seen that in children or recognized it you know I was called the naughty kid I was the one that was like oh she doesn't really try um she's you know she, she's she's sometimes a bit miserable because obviously I just couldn't look anyone in the eye all of that so it, I think at some point in your life regardless of how old you are I do believe that you're either going to go two ways and one of the ways that I'd like to think people go is self-preservation kind of kicks in a bit and you want you have a will to get better now somebody taught me something once and it's not what everyone thinks and it's the f word right not the word we think right but the word is force and the answer to a lot of stuff is it it it, it doesn't mean it's easy but it is simple sometimes you just have to force yourself now when i say force yourself i don't mean force yourself to get out of bed when you feel you can't because you're so stressed and anxious and you're feeling really down and you're struggling with your mental well-being and you've got to get yourself out of bed, get dressed, get ready for work, go to work, pretend nothing's happened and go home again and then fall into bed because you can't get out of it, right? What I mean by force is I really live now by the five-minute rule and and that is, I've just got to force myself to try for five minutes to whatever it is. Sometimes it might be just for five minutes, get up and brush your teeth. Even if all I've done is got out of bed and kind of just swished the mouthwash around my mouth, that's more than I would have done otherwise. And I think the thing is, once you get going, you kind of want to keep going, if that makes sense. And that's that, that I live by that because it has brought me out of so many situations where my mental health has struggled but I think as an adult as well I really recognize the signs in myself so everyone struggles right everyone struggles in life but not everyone has a mental illness and I think that for me I recognize the warning signs and I don't ever want to feel the way I felt again you know 
I don't ever want to go back to that place I've been, not just as a teenager, but all through my 20s, even up until 38. I had a massive, what I call a physical and mental breakdown at 38. I do not ever want to go there. So I am really mindful of my own well-being and I make sure that I try my hardest to keep on top of it if I can. And if I can't, I am not afraid to reach out and say I need I need some help. Um, and I think that's a really difficult thing for a lot of people to be able to feel they can do because, you know, there's so much stigma around there still. Unfortunately, it's getting better. Mm. It kind of throws but, off a few blurred lines for me. And totally. Particularly with, with men, because men traditionally don't want to reach out anyway, regardless of a mental health uh, problem or not, mm. or a mental health illness or not. It's interesting you say, you know, I totally agree. Everybody struggles. Everyone. There's not one person in the world that doesn't have some sort of a struggle or, or et cetera. What do you, how do you distinguish the difference between, you know, somebody who might be feeling a little bit low, who might be particularly younger people who are questioning, hang on, have I got a mental health illness or am I just having a bit of a rough time? Mm. What's the kind of, is there an identifiable, it may not be, but is there an identifiable difference between those two sort of scenarios? Not really for, that. The, there is, but not really for you and I. So that would be for professionals yeah. to, to be able to diagnose. We can't kind of distinguish the difference. But the thing I would say to somebody is if you are experiencing something, so whether that's anxiety, you're feeling really low and down, you even maybe just certain no energy and feeling lethargic, no motivation, perhaps you're withdrawing from friends, um, perhaps you're feeling insecure in a way that is impacting your daily life that's when I would think okay that that there's something going on here so if I give you an example of depression you need to be experiencing symptoms for a period of two weeks or more um, for that to be classed as clinical depression so diagnosable depression Um, so I, what I can say though is when you're feeling like that two weeks is a bloody long time it's horrible but the the doctors will use a it's basically a questionnaire really and they ask you to score on one to five for example um your mood your energy levels and so forth and from uh, do you feel anxious in these scenarios and from that score is how they will base whether you are um able to have a diagnosis but diagnosis for some people isn't everything right I think I need to point that out Ellie some people are frightened of a diagnosis because they don't want that attached to them that perhaps that self-stigma which is the biggest beast of all is when we self-stigmatize ourselves right but other people it's really valuable and, and, and I think you know whatever you whatever someone does there is always help out there. You Sometimes though, you've just got to reach out and try and grab it. Um, it's not going to fall on your feet, unfortunately, all the time. And I think when, you, when you're feeling, when you're struggling anyway, it's really hard to do anything, let alone reach out to a complete stranger, whether that be on all the amazing supports online that they're available or your doctor and you're not really sure what you're going to get back in return. And I think that can be a real struggle. So yeah, with depression and anxiety, it's definitely two weeks or more. But if I can give you another example, so what's called generalized anxiety disorder, um, you will need to be experiencing symptoms of that for six months before that could be diagnosable. But why do you think that might be? Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I mean, six months, I'm just putting myself in the shoes of someone going through that kind of emotion for six months. Like mm. you said, two weeks is a long time. Six months mm. is an absolute roller coaster, mm. right? Mm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it, have you ever felt anxious, Ali? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. So have I. Have you ever felt anxious more than once in a week, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. So how can you distinguish the difference between that being a possibly a diagnosable condition Mm. to not and I think you you need to be experiencing something that is impacting your daily life for however long it needs to be for that for the doctors or the the professionals to say okay I think there is a condition here or diagnosis 
Um, so that's why six months. But that doesn't mean that there still isn't that you can't get any help yeah, for yeah, anxiety yeah. until six months when you may or may not get diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. So I think my key message here is if something is impacting your daily life, reach out, reach out anywhere. It doesn't matter if it's 10 days, five days, three days, reach out. There are so there are so many supports out there now that are full of information, full of guidance, full of forums of people that might feel the same way as you, who are really good listeners, full of people maybe like me who's been there and got the t-shirt, so to speak. So, you know, I haven't got the answers, but I do get it. I, I definitely get it. So, yeah, I mean, I would just say, don't, don't be ashamed, don't hold back, you just reach out. And it's funny what you were saying about men there, Ali, because I think how many times do we use the phrases where we go just man up um, or grow of hair and stuff like that and that's still very male you yeah know, I mean very... speaking from a, a a bloke's perspective I suppose you know there's times when I would say to a mate you know someone that I know well come on mate like man up yeah and then yeah. but then there's time there are times when you don't say that and it's not appropriate definitely um I think you know the reaching out thing is you know I, I did it I reached out to you know some people very close to me when I needed it and it was one of the best things you could have ever done I, I could have, have, have ever done mm -hmm. um but it is taking that initial step and I'm a, I'm a firm believer you know the phrase it's okay to not be okay but it is okay to not be okay but the best thing you could possibly do is do something about it mm. when, when you're not okay to I'm take those to take Sorry. those steps i'm happy to kind of to delve into that i'm gonna i'm gonna put a spin on that there i don't okay. think it's ever okay to not be okay okay i think if i'm allowed to swear shit yeah yeah, yeah. shit not <laughs> being okay but it's definitely okay to admit when you're not okay yeah and i think that's the that, that that's the difference that i like to throw on it is it's never yeah. okay to not be okay but it's absolutely more than okay to say actually this is a bit crap and I'm struggling. So, you know, I, I throw a spin on that. Um, but, you know, it's really interesting because I was, I put this on social media actually the other day. I was watching a very well-known program that some teenagers might be watching right now. Um, and it's all about some kind of dating and it's uh, some kind of island. <laughs> I think <laughs> well, you I think all know, know what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love Island. I can't remember, I can't even remember the theme tune. So I'm watching that. I don't mind admitting it. Don't judge me, everyone. I'm a sensible girl, really. But I watch it with my kind of niece because she is at that age where all her friends are watching it. So they kind of want to watch it. So they're in with the crowd and they've got something to talk about. So I kind of watched it to kind of be that cool auntie that she can, it's relatable, right? And actually the adverts came on and there was the most amazing commercial. And I thought, Blimey, this is mainstream TV and the, you know, a TV show that is generally geared at young, beautiful, possibly insecure people that are taught love is all about what you look like and nothing else, right? And it was an advert for um, the campaign against living miserably, which is a charity some people might know as Calm. And they did this amazing commercial with Tyson Fury. And I urge anyone to watch it. There's no affiliation here, everybody. Tyson Fury <laughs> is not my friend, unfortunately. But if he's listening, get my number. Um, yeah, it, it was amazing. And it was just basically the invisible opponent. So he's basically in a boxing ring fighting with nothing, being punched and beaten about. And it was just like, don't fight it on your own. And I, I found that re I got really emotional because I was like, oh, my gosh. It was their first ever TV campaign, by the way. And I just thought this goes to show that we are making big strides in making it okay to admit when you're not okay. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to bring that in really. It's, it, no, it's it cool. Really it, powerful. It kind of leads me on to my, my next question towards, towards what you do. What is your mission as a mental health first aid instructor? And I think there's a lot more to it than that, you know, given what I do for a career, 
um, you know, the coaching side of things, the well-being side of things. Certainly as a coach, sometimes as a coach, it's a bit of a blurred line between are you a coach slash counsellor, you know, and that's that's okay. That's with me, that's totally fine. Yeah. What's what's your mission as a mental health first aider in in, yeah. in the in the kind of well-being space? Yeah, so um mental health first aid England, which is who I'm qualified by, they their mission which is also my mission, is to train one in 10 people in mental health first aid skills. And the reason we say one in 10 is that's how you're going to kind of build that chain reaction of making it more acceptable. Um, Workplace culture will improve across the board, not just in specific, either specific job roles or specific um, companies. Um, so my mission is that, but the, one of the one of the reasons I talk very openly about my own mental health and my struggles is um, I really I really have this thing right that I'm successful. What I call successful, which we can go into later, because when I say success, I don't mean loads of money or anything. Um, I feel that I want people to see that I'm a okay person. You know, I haven't got loads of money, but I live in a nice house. You know, it's nice for me. Some people won't like it. I like it. Um, you know, I'm successfully, I've successfully run a personal training business for 30 years um, with, you know, and in the middle of a mental health breakdown. Don't ask me how I managed to blag my way through that. But I want people to see that I'm not that stereotype that people assume of you rocking backs and forwards in a chair, can't be bothered, no hoper. They're never going to get better. And I think that I have a real passion to show people that actually it does get, it can get better. It absolutely does. But equally, I'm just a, I'd like to think I'm a regular girl, right? There's nothing special about me. There was no trauma really in my life that, that suddenly flicked a switch and made me experience depression and anxiety at a young age. It just was. And actually, one of the things I say to a lot of people is the biggest game changer for me which was probably when I was about 42, is A, I started talking about it very openly. And it, it, the relief, the relief I felt from that was so unexpected, but really overwhelmingly great. But also the other thing I want to say is that when, when you're moving forward in your life and trying to, trying to work out what you're gonna do in your life, I think sometimes you just fall into stuff. Do you know what I mean? And I think maybe if I hadn't have had the experiences I'd had growing up, I wouldn't be doing what I do now. Maybe if my parents had been able to afford for us to maybe have swimming lessons or go to the cinema or whatever, I might not have fallen into swimming and then exercise. So, you know, if someone said to me, do you want to change anything about your life? I'd say, well, no, not really. Not re- I'm quite, you know, I, I'm content most of the time (laughs) (laughs) most Most of the the time time. yeah Yeah. aren't we all (laughs) I think that's a that's a theme that's come up with every guest I've had on the Evolve pod and what what are we now this is episode 22 you know and everybody's got their own story everyone's had their own challenges everybody's had their sort of ups and downs and you know more often than not I have asked that question you know would you change anything and the answer is always no because everything that you go through makes you and creates you into who you are and what you become and I I think if you reflect back to a few minutes ago when you said about there's a sort of turning point in everybody's lives when they realize you know they've got to go one of one of two ways potentially and I think that's absolutely true definitely and I think you know our experiences both individually and collectively make us who we are right yeah because you know I think I've still got a diagnosis you know I still take medication I will be on medication for the rest of my life and I don't care I don't because if that's what it takes to keep me on top of things I honestly don't care and there's a lot of stigma around medication still isn't there it's particularly when you're talking about antidepressants and stuff and I think there is that issue where perhaps doctors with is not really their expertise may over prescribe antidepressants and I do think that happens but I think also there's a misconception that an antidepressant will take everything away and make everything better. And medication alone is never going to do that. I always say that 
medication is a bit like taking a painkiller for a headache. It might suppress it, but it's not going to take away the cause of the headache, if that makes sense. So I think for me, it just makes you able to deal with things. And I'm, I'm talking here, by the way, about depression and anxiety. I'm not talking about maybe other diagnoses um, or people that experience, say, psychosis or even bipolar, you know, medication for that is is very important as as well by the way but yeah I've I've got no qualms about that and I think the more you talk about that as well and and give people an open and honest version of why you still take them and what what for I think it just makes people get it a bit more and you know it's a bit like when I say to people you know that I don't want to go to the doctors because they're just going to put me on antidepressants and I don't want to go on antidepressants and I and then I'll say well I've been on them for 40 years they go what yeah and if if I said to you have you got any hay fever tablets are you going to take some hay fever tablets and they go yeah I, I think kind of what's the difference it's a medication that assists you your well-being it doesn't cure it because recovery Recovery doesn't mean cure, right? I'm, I, I say I'm, re- I'm recovered, but I've still got the diagnosis. And recovery for everybody is di- means different things. Some people, it's learning to live with your symptoms in a meaningful way. Um, it doesn't mean living in the absence of those symptoms. It means being able to live alongside them in a fulfilling way. I think that's the difference. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that the medication thing, I think certainly, you know, it's definitely not the cure, but it's the thing that can kind of can trigger a bit more positive behaviours potentially. Um, I want to kind of move move it on a little bit. So I know some of the um, some of the listeners here may be struggling themselves for various different reasons Mm or, you know, more often than not, we all know people that are are suffering. you know, if let's say I wanted to approach a mental health first aider because I, I think I've got a bit of an issue with my mm. mental health, what exactly is a mental health first aider? Okay, that's a good question. So mental health first aid, so MHFA, Mental Health First Aid England, we're the only licensed provider, by the way, of mental health first aid globally, I believe, but definitely in the UK. Um, and... Um, it's just like physical first aid really so if you fell over and cut your knee physical first aider would be there to intervene and support you until professional appropriate help arrives right and it's the same with a mental health first aider so i am there to support you and to offer you guidance and guide you towards appropriate support until that you can get that professional help so we're not doctors we're not therapists and a lot of people go oh you can't do what you do because you're not a therapist right well I kind of know why why they say that but a physical first aid is not a doctor and I really believe that in the last two weeks I have supported strangers more than I ever have in my life with mental well-being and that goes from you know someone that was having a panic attack no one else knew what was going on I was able to step in and help this person Um, and you know I received the most amazing text from this person's parent to thank me Um, and now you don't do it to be thanked but it made me feel that okay I've done I've done a good job there yeah Um, but I've also had even recently um, I had last week loads of private messages on social media from people I didn't know about this one particular person that they were all linked to who had disclosed that they had um, taken an overdose and they didn't know how to handle it they were like I don't I don't know what to say I don't know what to do and I was like okay leave it with me and I won't go into too much detail about that but I think the difference is that I feel like I've got the confidence and the knowledge to know how to support somebody appropriately. And I think most of us, and I know I did before, is you don't know, so you do the best that you feel you can. Um, and, and, and you will either 
not do do things particularly well or you will completely afterwards go did I say the right thing did I do the right thing and it's a bit like being you know in the wellness space isn't it Ali right so we you know I'm personal trainer we we have a lot of clients who will talk to us about lots of things on a personal level quite often and I always used to leave a session thinking did I wonder if I helped them I wonder if I really said the right thing so if somebody said to me you know I'm really struggling um, like I, I had in the past, maybe say someone that, that they're struggling because they're binge eating, right? And I, I used to leave and think, I don't know if I've helped them enough. I don't think I've said the right thing. So for me, it's having that confidence to know what to do and how to support someone and encourage those appropriate supports. Um, you know, so I think I think everyone should have some kind of knowledge on how they can support somebody that is struggling whether that be they're just feeling a bit down maybe something's happened you know we all have things in life that might trigger us to feel down um anxiety um you know panic attacks what if somebody's experiencing a psych having a psychotic episode how many people will ever experience that very few but if you did would you know what to do and you know the the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about but it's absolutely okay to talk about it even though for some it may be triggering is, is suicide how do you know how to help somebody in that moment do you even know what the warning signs are which which by the way there is evidence will show that there is always a warning sign that they can be so subtle you're not necessarily going to see them um some people will disagree with that and i totally get that i kind of think that as well but statistics or, or evidence will say that that's not the case um yeah so you know most people wouldn't have a clue and that's why i think people would just walk past just like if someone was having a heart attack on the street, some people might walk past because they just don't know what to do. It's not because they're a bad person, they just don't know what to do. Yeah. And we've got to get people knowing what to do and helping. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you, you know, people like yourself are really spreading the right word on that. And, and you know, there's more mental health first, tra first aid trainers in businesses now than, than ever by, by a long way, which is fantastic. And I think bringing it back to the workplace, you know, as a mental health first aid instructor, what what's your value on you know the importance of workplace well-being for for not only employees but also employers? What you know, what's the value of it? If you could sum that up. Well, I think you know, workplace culture, right, goes way beyond a bowl of fruit in the staff room. <laughs> Our days of that are way way gone. So if anyone's listening and and that's what that's what they think workplace well-being is, then um, it's not I'm telling you it's not so I think if you if you go somewhere where you feel um regarded as valuable in your workplace and you go somewhere where you are able to take your whole self to work so that that be you know whether that be I'm Ali I'm a parent I've got three kids I'm a cyclist you should be able to have those discussions at work you should be able to bring your whole self to work and if that workplace culture doesn't permit that and you've almost got to be very regimented and you're only, a bit like how people just some people think LinkedIn is, you know, it should only be business and you only talk about that and you don't. It's not your whole self and it's you're denying people the ability, I think, to thrive, because if you go out, if you went out right, Ali, somewhere and people were not maybe your thing they may be a bit boring they didn't really want to talk about anything about you or them it was all I don't know focused on something like I don't know what they did at work today yeah computers or something you're you're not going to end up having a great conversation probably you're going to leave thinking feeling maybe a bit flat you're going to leave thinking oh I didn't really enjoy that I don't know anything about this person they know nothing about me um, and you're going to almost feel like undervalued a bit. And I think it's the same in the workplace. If you don't, if you don't improve, improve how people feel about coming to work, there's going to be an impact on their um, presenteeism, if you like, and how present they are in the workplace and how much work they get done. But equally, you know, if you've got, a, there's a lot of laws in place, right, that protect people when they're ill. So 
um, under the under the um, Health and Safety Act of 1974. You know that does include mental well-being as well as physical well-being, uh, and they have to do it. But if you don't, um, what as a mental health first aid, right? What we want to do is help somebody before it gets to the point of a crisis. We want to acknowledge or recognise that perhaps someone is struggling and encourage them to get professional supports, encourage them to get other supports so they don't get into that position of crisis. And I honestly think that if signs and symptoms were recognised in me in my workplace when I had a physical and mental breakdown, I may not... I'm not saying I wouldn't, but it may not. Have, it may not have got to the point that it did. But actually, the situation was made made me feel worse because rather than people pulling me aside, saying, "Are you all right? You don't seem yourself. You've lost loads of weight. You seem a bit distant. You you don't really talk to anyone anymore." Um, where in theory I was really struggling, but instead they took me into the office. First time ever, I got taken into the office and basically disciplined for um, basically ignoring my colleagues. Now, can you imagine someone that's already struggling hearing that? I broke down. I just went, I'm oh, really sorry, that's not true. I just partially deaf, which I am. They don't understand and I left. Now that, I can't tell you how much that affected me in a negative way. And it's no one's fault. That's no one's fault, but I didn't feel I could say, I am really struggling and I don't know why I need help. I didn't feel I could say that. Because, you know, how many personal trainers do you know? <laughs> we all want them to be the motivator and the happy one. We're all still human. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned signs and symptoms. Uh, uh, one thing I wanted to get across to the listeners today, you know, is what are the signs and symptoms of someone who is potentially suffering from a mental health illness or developing yeah. mental health illness? Yeah, or just struggling. Just, just struggling. struggling, yeah. You don't have to have a mental health condition or illness for somebody to support you or for you to be able to reach the ports you know it is anyone that's struggling anyone's struggling so it 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 varies from from different conditions right so anxiety for example is slightly different from depression but the science to look for the key thing is change has somebody's behavior changed recently? So are they not, which is what I would like to consider I was. I was quite a vibrant, bubbly person. And suddenly I went very withdrawn. I lost a lot of weight really quickly. Um, I was maybe making more effort in my appearance because I was trying to hide the fact that I was struggling. So the first thing is change. Is there a sudden change in someone's behavior? Um, is there, has their body language changed? You know, Is it perhaps not as open as it was? eye contact um is somebody perhaps missing being late at work and they're not normally way out late are they maybe forget forgetting meetings but not really forgetting are they ringing ringing an ill i mean the list is endless but but i think the key really message is do you notice a change and you know what if you go up to someone and say i've noticed that you don't seem yourself recently and I just wanted to ask how you are. Um, and they go, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I can tell you most people, even when they're struggling, will say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a kind of a, it's a robot answer, isn't it? Ask them twice. Yeah. Ask them twice. Are you sure you're okay? Well, tell me, tell me what, you, what have you been up to lately? You ask open-ended questions, not just that straight answer question. Because we all, it's almost like a hi, isn't it? Like, hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, great, bye. It, there's no intent in it there's no intent in it so I think you know our, one of the things that they say is it's a Samaritan is ask the question twice um, and ask these open-ended questions and even if someone says no no I'm fine just go oh, okay that, that maybe if you wanted to chat to me you can and you can still reach out to them again um, if you still think think that they're struggling and they're not willing to tell you and I think maybe sometimes there's a slight advantage for me because I've had those experiences because I could maybe ask the question and go how are you you, you don't seem quite yourself and they'll go no I'm fine and I go oh great that's really great and then I don't know if it's a sixth sense maybe where you just kind of know and I think when people can see that I've experienced it and come out the other end and I'm not ashamed to talk about it I like to think that 
sometimes it lifts people a bit and makes them feel more able to have open discussions so it's a bit like I always say people when they give up smoking right they might go and see a therapist to give up smoking or do a course the NHS do one I think called cessation one of my friends did it once and he said to me oh, I'm not going back it's rubbish and I went what well you've got to go more than once he went the guy's never even smoked the guy that's teaching us has never even spoke smoked how's he going to get it and how's he going to get what it feels like and I thought you know you've got a bit of a point there um so maybe there's an element of that but I I'm in no way saying that in order to be good mental health first aid or or enable to support anybody that might be struggling you have to have experienced it before because you know as the amazing video by Brené Brown says no no empathy ever starts without least you know yeah so yeah I think lived experience counts does count for a fair bit definitely because it's relatable and it's also a success story that people like a success story right yeah well, um, yeah I mean but I think people's opinions of success is very different I think yeah <laughs> I mean, so I've been working on my values and my my perception of success and what that means for me and it's kind of yeah it's a probably a whole different podcast to be honest but it's very I know you touched upon it earlier about you know what you perceive as as success and I, I'm still kind of working out what success means for me you know mm. and I think one of the things that I've found recently having gone through what I've gone through in the last however many years mm. quite often recently my go-to thing has been to, to be to reflect and you when you reflect I've reflected on all the things I went through but equally at the same time as I was going through some pretty dark stuff I had some really great successes which mm. I've only really kind of realized in the last probably four to five months that actually over since, you know, 2000 and whenever it, mm. all, it all sort of started, there's been some brilliant things that I've achieved and that I've done. And, but because I was going through some dark things at the time that they, they were overshadowed, certainly and almost not yeah. sort of forgotten about, but not really focused on. So now when I'm reflecting back and working out what my values are, I'm very much kind of with the mindset of, yeah, there was some shit times, but equally there were some good things that I managed to achieve yeah. while I was, you know, not the best version of myself. It's interesting, isn't it, about the whole success thing, though, because I think a lot of people think success is about be, having a really powerful position in a job, um, maybe having a lot of money. Some people might think success and, you know, as a single woman that's got no children, a lot of people think I'm not successful because I haven't met that stereotype of a middle-aged woman where they should have, you know, kids and a, and a husband and Ivy growing up the side of the house. For me, that's not success. To, to be honest, my successes are really simple and it's, to be, it's being happy. It's mm. that simple for me. And I can't really go much further because I feel that if I look too far ahead in the future it scares me so I think for, for my mental well-being for me personally I focus on today's a good day that's great and move forward and of course I have goals yeah, of course I do but I don't make them the ultimate I don't make them the ultimate in five years time I'm going to do this in five years time I'm going to do that by the time I'm 50, I'm going to be living in Brazil or whatever. I, 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 have, I have aims, but I don't, I don't make my life depend on those goals. And it's funny, you know, isn't it? Because when you were younger, for me anyway, my goals were, oh, my God, I'm going to be married at 25. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to have a really good job. And by the way, I love my job. I think I do have a good job. Um, you know, and I used to be really frightened of these people that were my age now, who were really successful, successful business-wise, really attractive people, and they were single, but they'd have a cat. And I'd be like, oh, I don't want to end up like one of those people that's just got cats. And here I am sitting here, and it's a good job we're not on camera because I've got a rescue dog next to me who absolutely stinks. And I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that, but that's it, you know. And I think you know you do start to work out your <laughs> there it is. Do start to work out your value of success as you go, really. And I think mm -hmm. you know I, I talked about lived experience. The more you experience, the more your eyes are opened up to what you can achieve 
Mm, yeah, and, totally. And then, and then create your own version of success and what that means for you. It doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. As long as you feel like you've got the successes you want, then that, that's what counts, doesn't it? I just want to be happy. I just want yeah. to feel, I just want to be content and feel that, you know, you, you. I think all of us want to get be in a place, don't we, where we feel content and happy most of the time. That's not possible all of the time, but feel content and happy and, and feel like we have made a difference. And I guess that's why I like working with people because I feel that I might not necessarily always make a difference, but I feel like I can offer that support to people, whether that be as a personal trainer or or in the mental health space. Yeah. I like to think that, you know, and even, even if the only difference I ever made to anyone was my senior rescue dog and I've given him a nice home for now, that, that's okay. <laughs> uh, well, look, Sharon, I, I, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up there. I mean, that's uh, what a great pod, really cool episode. I really enjoyed that. You know, it's something that, you know, as a theme comes up quite often on the Evolve pod, but never specific to a whole episode you know sort of depression anxiety and mental health and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a dark topic it can be an open topic that's actually quite interesting and intriguing and very helpful for people to learn from whether they're suffering or not themselves mm-hmm. and personally I really appreciate your openness to coming on and talking about your story because it is a powerful one and it does really help and I'm sure some people listening will take a lot from you know your confidence to be able to to, to, to share openly and to help people um I think, you know, many of the listeners will really appreciate that too. So yeah. thank you so much You're for coming welcome. on. Can I just add one thing, Ali? Yeah, of course. One thing. I just want to say to anybody out there that's struggling, right? Everyone struggles. I can still struggle. N- nobody chooses a mental illness or to struggle. Nobody chooses that. But I absolutely, I can't promise anything apart from it can and it does get better. Reach out. Reach out anywhere. If no one's reaching into you, reach out go online go to your doctor speak to someone that you trust reach out and i would absolutely promise you it will be the best thing that you can do for yourself and you will not regret it so just ending on that very serious point but i think it needs to be said thank you absolutely well look thanks sharon thank you so much for anybody who wants to train as a mental health first aider i'll put sharon's uh, contact details and business in the pod notes so you can get you can get in touch with sharon on linkedin or any social media and uh guys thanks very much for tuning in i will be back in a couple of weeks with some more awesome content for you soon take care everybody thank you